Benzinga's Cannabis Capital Conference returns to Miami Beach on April 11th and 12th. I may be biased, but I'm telling you this event is a can't miss. Join us to build the foundation of your next game-changing deal with CEOs and decision makers from leading companies in the industry. We're talking about the next wave of businesses, strategies from the most profitable businesses, and exactly what investors are looking for in a challenging market. Go to bzcannabis.com to meet your next investor, co-founder, and new friends. A little pro tip from me, right now tickets are $1,000 cheaper than prices at the door. Get yours now. Industry trends. You know, that, that's the last thing that, that that intro says on the screen. And industry trends are, uh, <laughs> what are they, right? Uh, companies are doing well. Companies are sucking. Uh, just depends on how you look at it. We're going to start off today, though, with a little bit uh, of an earnings dive. And we're starting to get more of these reports rolling in. Uh, you had TrueLeave. You had New Lake Capital. Uh, New Lake Capital Partners jump in. You had Air Wellness drop their report. Village Farms. Uh, Village Farms, we'll start with them. You know, their revenue, their, their numbers are, are somewhat down year over year. They're not great, as you can see, uh, the shareholders responding as such. That said, I think you have to remember their brand is number one right now in Canada. This is the top selling cannabis brand in Canada. And they were just hammered today. Just nobody decided to remember, albeit there was a little spike there. Uh, but that being said, I, I mean, y'all, if you're looking for I'm not, no pumping, do your own research, do your own due diligence. But as we're about to see with a, a nice article written by my colleague, Aaron Bree, uh, companies and investment investor institutions are starting to take notice of these low price targets for these stocks. Um, so it's really interesting to see the leading brand just take a little bit of a, of a nosedive there. Uh, VFF is definitely worth some attention. Trulieve, I thought overall had a pretty solid report. Uh, if you look a little bit deeper in, they're still hampered by the acquisition they did uh, a while back and, and some of the, the, <laughs> the not trending good profits uh, of that business. But that being said, um, they are still growing. Uh, Pablo Zwanich came out with a note yesterday saying that he expects M&A. He expects them to acquire more assets uh, and or other operations fully. So this is going to be a very interesting year for the likes of Truly, but they hit 1.24 billy. They hit the billy mark along with GTI who reported last week. So we have two companies now with a billion dollars in cannabis sales. And revenue. This is it's massively impressive and super cool to see. Um, New Lake Capital Partners in LCP. They are a REIT real estate investment trust, so they are not directly plant touching. However, they do support the assets of plant touching companies. The revenue, I believe, up to twelve ish million, up from nine million uh, year over year. So New Lake Capital to me is. It, it shows that debt had a good year in 2022. That being said, we are already seeing loans come to fruition in a negative way in 2023. We'll get to that in a little bit with the likes of SkyMint, unfortunately. Um, and then Air Wellness, overall, some great numbers. We're actually going to be talking to the head of their IR, Rebecca Conti Core, next week. Um, Actually, no, sorry, that's a sin wellness. We'll be talking to her in, in two weeks. Too many A's. Sorry, guys, I apologize. Uh, but Air Wellness reported um, not a great uh, response in the market. But honestly, y'all, it, it's a trend when <laughs> cannabis reports. Uh, if you don't report just the most spotless balance sheet, it, it tends to be um, 
it tends to be a nosedive. Uh, that being said, I think there's a, there's a climb back here, especially for VFF, especially for New Lake Capital. Uh, I definitely, you know, it seems like the market responded interestingly there. Uh, Quantum, what is up, my friend? Welcome back in. If you are watching this live on Benzinga Cannabis Twitter, LinkedIn, or YouTube, please drop a what's up in the chat. Always like to hear from you all. Drop a cannabis stock that you all like to hear from. Uh, please let us know that you're watching. If you're watching this after the fact on, uh, or you're watching this after the fact on any of those channels, or you're listening on Apple or Spotify, uh, just reach out to us. Let us know what you want to hear as well. Aaron Bree, let's get to the story that Aaron Bree wrote. Hedge funds and institutional investors are buying these cannabis stocks. You can find this on benzinga.com slash cannabis, or you can find this on our app. However, he says, most public cannabis companies are still largely in growth phases. Higher interest rates have hit their stocks hard, but as share prices come down, institutional investors and hedge funds have started to take stabs at different companies. Tilray, Canopy, SNDL, and Aurora have all seen massive buys uh, recently and over the last quarter. Aurora's was really surprising. So check that out, benzinga.com slash cannabis. Some super interesting numbers, and honestly, uh, there's reason for optimism, I would say, with this article. With that said, y'all, just a quick shout out to our partner, Green Life Business Group. Honestly, a, a new company that came to me recently that we're going to be hosting in Miami for our Cannabis Capital Conference. They're the nation's largest cannabis business brokerage, uh, which gears uh, they're gearing up to be at the conference in Miami as one of our speakers on M&A, uh, which is very, very cool. They, I, I mean, you just got to go check out their site, Green Life Business Com. They currently have over 150 exclusive cannabis businesses available on the market today in over 10 states. Um, it's a really cool company. And I told him straight to his face, I was like, are you real? When I met him, I can't tell. Uh, but after talking to him, it was really, really interesting uh, to see and just go a little bit further into the selling of some of these licenses and the real estate attached to them. So if you are a B2B uh, person in the space, you're buying assets, you're looking to get into the space, check out greenlifebusiness.com. Elizabeth Cassess, Cassis, Cassessi. I tried all three. Uh, I hope I got it right in one of those. What's up? Thank you so much for saying, hey, nice to have you all listening in. With that being said, a couple more news items here. Tilray sells their shareholder lawsuit, which we friggin' covered earlier this week. Uh, TLRY on the NASDAQ for almost 40 million bucks for an investor that basically said your inventory is not what it should have been. Um, also, the GOP in Ohio is looking to expand their medical marijuana program. However, current participants and advocates in the space say that it would be terrible. Now, I, I look at this a couple of different ways, right? You know, you don't want to just look at something and say, oh, uh, you know, companies are Diet, you know, companies are saying this is terrible. It must be terrible, right? It's it's creating more competition for these businesses. So, yes, price compression, uh, albeit I think only half of the consumers with medical licenses in the state of Ohio are using the program thus far. So, uh, what do you all think? Drop your thoughts in the chat. I'd love to hear from you all. Do you think that they should not offer more competition in the state of Ohio? right now? Uh, or do you think that they should offer more access to cannabis for those medical consumers that are not able to use the program currently? 
I'd love to hear from you all. I know what my thoughts are. Um, and, and I can't say that this is an easy one to decipher. So with that being said, uh, let us know what you think. And last but not least, SkyMint, a Michigan operator, and Green Peak Innovations is their parent company. So you probably have heard of at least one of those companies. They are getting sued by investors, by I believe it's Tropics LP and Merida Capital Holdings. You probably know Mitch and team over at Merida. If you are in cannabis, you probably, you may or may not know Tropics LP, but that is a subsidiary of Sunstream Bancorp, which is the lending arm and investment arm of SNDL. Uh, they are uh, putting up a pretty massive lawsuit against them for not meeting their obligations and really not being forthright about their financials. We're going to be seeing more of this this year, unfortunately, uh, in terms of cleaning up this industry, cleaning up the balance sheets. SkyMint was a very, very popular company in Michigan. We'll see what happens to those assets to that company. And ideally, that is <laughs> only one of a few of those stories that we have to cover here. Um, that being said, y'all, that was a lot of news. Thank you all for bearing with me. I hate hearing my voice, which is why we have interviews with industry leaders on this channel every Tuesday and Thursday at 4 Eastern time. Thanks again for watching live, or you can watch after the fact. But let's get a much cooler person than me on this show right now. Courtney Barnes, let's bring her over, Aaron. I'm psyched about this one. Oh, that got me. That's the that's the first time we've had that that transition, and Aaron Thomas just got me a little bit grooving over here. <laughs> Courtney Barnes, how are you, my friend? Welcome in. I am doing well. We are psyched to be here. <laughs> ah, there we go. I, I apologize for the pun. I I kind of <laughs> have to. I'm we're a new dad over here. The dad jokes are flowing, and it's it just it is what it is. But Courtney, thank you for bearing with my corniness there. Uh, that being said, you are a legal mind in a very difficult industry, multiple industries, uh, but we're specifically focusing on psychedelics today. It's a difficult industry to really decipher for the consumer, for those that are not actively participating in it. But let's start with you and your background and how you got into psychedelics law. Yes, um, thank you. So I'm Courtney Barnes. I am an attorney by trade. I serve as counsel at Feldman Legal Advisors, which is a New York-based business and policy firm I've been in the cannabis and psychedelic space since essentially my entire legal career. I started at Vicente Cedarburg when I was, I think, 21 and stayed with them for five and a half years, got a lot of experience helping to draft, uh, for example, Denver's decriminalization of psilocybin ordinance, as well as Texas's hemp bill and a variety of other policy reform measures. And then wow. I've been with Feldman Legal Advisors for the past year and a half or so, but my interest in the space sort of spans all sorts of facets. I um, myself have been personally affected in a very positive way by the healing potential of psychedelic compounds, as well as with cannabis. And I um, am very passionate about the potential of this medicine to heal people and really help people mm -hmm. and just the variety of uses that we're starting to explore. Everything from, you know, PTSD, depression to diabetes and ADHD, you know, it's, it's, it's really incredible. So I'm, yes, I'm very passionate, but it's an industry that we are still very much creating. There isn't a lot of structure to it yet. So um, yes, it's constantly evolving. So, I mean, so many questions, but honestly, it must be noticed Vicente Cedarberg is probably one of the most active and well-respected law firms 
uh, in, in cannabis and I would imagine in psychedelics as well. So a great start there. Uh, but Feldman, I, I mean, a, another very, very well-respected um, mind himself, Dave Feldman, you know, and his firm over there. So Courtney, I mean, you have a massive amount uh, of reach into, you know, some legal minds here. And it, it seems it's, it's circulating around new leaders such as yourself. When, when I say circulating around, I mean this industry and how it's evolving, right? So, you know, let's start with what you mentioned about drafting some of these bills. So the hemp bill in Texas versus the decriminalization bill in, um, in Colorado, are, are there similarities in drafting legis- you know, legislation when it comes to cannabis, hemp, and, and psychedelics? Yes. From sort of a policy overarching regulatory structure, they can be simplified to Schedule One controlled substances. So at the federal level, psychedelics, you know, inclusive of psilocybin and psilocin, which are your magic mushrooms, a DMT, LSD, uh, et cetera, they're classified along with cannabis as a Schedule One controlled substance at the federal level. So this means the government believes them to have a high potential for abuse no accepted use in treatment in the United States, and a lack of accepted safety for use under medical supervision. We all know with cannabis that and hemp um, and psychedelics that this is just simply untrue, but cannabis really did pave the way for the policy reform movement that's happening at the grassroots level, especially that we're seeing with psychedelics. So first came the 2018 Farm Bill, was sort of a soft launch, and then state regulation came into play, and now we have, you know, 30, well, you know, cannabis adult use was happening before that, but it's the state by state sort of grassroots patchwork approach that we're also seeing with psychedelics as well. And so, mm-hmm. you know, psychedelics, we have 19 cities now that have passed local decriminalization provisions as of, I think, last night and huh. two states. So slower than cannabis, but but in the process that policy gets affected in the kind of sort of pattern that we're seeing with volunteers in this grassroots ground up movement there there's overlap in that regard those two states are oregon and colorado correct mm-hmm. fantastic but we've had so, a dozen different states already um introduce legislation on psilocybin and other psychedelics this year so i i, I do want to take a, a right turn here shortly into to more of a psychedelic centric discussion but when we look at the federal level and you look at you know say we, i think was it was it ed perlmutter who wrote a letter to uh the hhs recently about being more transparent uh, about uh, the rescheduling process and you got a big nothing burger response. Um, but does the rescheduling thought there, um, do the psychedelic, does the psychedelics industry watch the process? Is that the same process that they're interested in going through? Uh, or because I know we're looking at two different industries, maybe a more biotech centric one versus a recreational one, but is the process similar on the federal side? So I think it's a bit more bifurcated right now because there's not really a state level or state legal industry that's been created yet. Oregon has passed their psilocybin access program and they're taking license applications, but there's not that coalition of businesses that are actually operating. Um, It tends to be pretty split still between the FDA drug development route, um, which is essentially biotech, and the decriminalization you know, grow, gather, gift, sort of sharing non-commercialization model. So there's a little bit more of a separation than there is with cannabis now that you kind of have this mix of um, adult use, personal cultivation and industry. But I think we'll see that as, 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 as we continue to progress the movement at the state level and 
And Colorado is going to be an incredible opportunity for this because they have an psilocybin program that actually opens the door to include other psychedelic compounds starting in 2026. So Colorado is going to be kind of this, um, you know, big experiment on can we do sort of a, a blend between that clinical regulation and appreciating sort of the spiritual ceremonial and, and traditional historic use that's been going on with psychedelics for, you know, ever. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Um, so, you know, I, can you just give us a sense in however, you know, not to put too much pressure on you, but in however much, in however measurement you want to do this, what is the industry in the U S right now for psychedelics? Like what is the legal market for, not maybe not market, but the legal industry of businesses, of people, of companies running trials, of uh, maybe potentially if you want to include ketamine in that. But what is the industry right now in the United States? So it is the majority of capital and movement and effort is in the drug development process. So there's, I think, you know, about a hundred clinical trials of all stages for a variety of different psychedelic compounds. Most of them are in their very early stage. And, you know, this includes Ibogaine, DMT, you know, psilocybin, mescaline, et cetera. So there's a lot more going on there. And MAPS, of course, has the most notoriety as it deserves for submitting their phase three. And so they should be going into the actual, you know, drug approval application process. And I think they said there's potential for approval, which it keeps moving, but as soon as 2024, and once that happens, that's going to be a huge, you know, milestone for the industry and the creation of, of access in the United States. But you are correct. While ketamine is technically a disassociative, it doesn't, it's not classified as a hallucinogen or really a psychedelic in that regard. It is a schedule three drug or controlled substance. So there's about a 1200 clinics operating across the United States. So what we're seeing as far as sort of investment and growth in um, an interest kind of means that like quickest growing sector because just of the lack of um, it's, it's less stringently regulated and mm -hmm. there's a lot more people that can prescribe and administer ketamine than, you know, you need a DEA permit for essentially every other psychedelic out there right now. So there isn't technically much of a legal industry. There's no legal access model for a commercialized um, psychedelic program yet, but Oregon will be the first mover and we're also seeing a lot of like ancillary sort of um, more like preparation and integration services. So whether it's coaching, microdosing, you know, uh, journaling, yoga, all of retreats, there's sort of that kind of non-plant touching, similar analogous kind of system being created before we can actually grow and, and hmm. sell psychedelics in America. It's very interesting. So I mean, could you say that you're creating maybe not you, but like the industry is creating like a culture around psychedelics and, and psychedelic normalization uh, with some of those? Absolutely. I mean, it, it depends on like how you want to frame it, right? Because psilocybin and all of these compounds, as I mentioned, have been used for all of history, like mm -hmm. entire history, since we have records of any sort of writings. Um, but the transformative impact that psychedelics have and it's so subjective and it's so personal and it's really all about sort of awakening the authenticity within you it's it, it creates a, a culture sort of uh implicitly or indirectly and and hmm. Oregon and Colorado I believe are going to see a big transformation of of 
people and and fashion and music and all of the things as a result of people tuning in and really getting in touch with themselves. And that's the beauty of psychedelics. But yes, hmm. although we have, you know, many, many cultures that have been stewarding this medicine for thousands of years. So it's not to say that we're coming up with something fresh, but we're coming up with something that's unique to us. Right. Absolutely. So I'd like to dive in a little bit more to the compound side uh, of this and these different molecules and uh, extraction techniques and like uh, the, the actual, what we are creating businesses around and investment opportunities around seems psilocybin is probably the, what we're all most familiar with in terms of hearing, but you know, what else should we know like about psilocybin? What's the difference between psilocybin and perhaps some of these other uh, compounds, you know, is, is there, uh, a really big opportunity with one that maybe we're not hearing about as much? Yes. Thank you. Great question. They're all have such different, uh, healing potentials and sustainability considerations and safety considerations. But for the short time that we're on this show, if I had to give you one compound to sort of look into and, and really spread the word or consider would be Ibogaine, which is, um, comes, originates in Africa, but it is, a compound of a um, plant that is showing incredible potential for the treatment of addiction. And actually, um, Jordan Belfort just made an Instagram post. He had visited Beyond and went under an Ibogaine treatment to get off of Suboxone, I believe, um, a couple weeks ago. And I thought that was so incredible just because of the population that he has exposure to is not the typical population that would necessarily be consuming this kind of content. And it just, the options we have for opioid addiction and addiction in general are just, you know, essentially ineffective or not, they're clearly not effective enough for the problem that we have in America. And Ibogaine, if used responsibly in a clinical setting, it does have a lot of, um, medical safety considerations that psilocybin and other psychedelics don't. But I do believe that that really is the one uh, substance that has potential to save countless lives. And and I mean that very sincerely. That's incredible. And I mean, Jordan Belfort, of course, the the wolf of Wall Street. Um, You're absolutely right. I got to tell you, if finance people maybe got more in touch with themselves, this would be a different market <laughs> entirely. Um, that's that's an interesting thought. Um, so that that's very cool. Is anybody in any one company, um, you know, working? We'll, we'll keep on the ibogaine train, uh, but other companies in the U.S. that are focusing on that are they, you know, kind of under the radar for the moment? Are they public? I'm I'm curious. I know there's a couple clinical trials um, that are in their early stages. There was a lot of research happening in the early 90s and 2000s that ended up actually Nita at one point was supportive, but then something happened with the IP and um, in the process and they were stopped funding it. But so I, I don't know off the top of my head, but it is worth looking into. There are, I think, um, three or four companies that are working with Ibogaine. And then there's um, really in the United States, it's it's got a fascinating history with respect to how it ended up being classified as a controlled substance. They never really did the full safety analysis for ibogaine and it's literally one of the least addictive compounds you'll ever use you do not want to go and like do that for fun but um but Hmm. it got kind of swooped up with a drug bust that happened with respect to a lot of um 
dealers that had heroin and other compounds with them. And they were actually using it to get off of heroin, but it ended up just getting classified as um, a schedule one substance by like virtue of association, but it's not illegal in Mexico and it's not illegal in Canada. And so there are treatment centers opening up across the globe for it. And it is included in Colorado's definition of plant medicine. So starting in 2026, we may see um, treatment centers being able to be open for that. And I hope that Colorado takes initiative to make that one of the first ones they add because of its of just um, its healing potential. But I don't know of any companies that are like substantially far along with the with the trials with it. I guess this is what happens when you have people drafting bills that actually understand the plant. I feel like it may have been lacking a little bit on the cannabis side. Um, so <laughs> I, I'm really interested to know because I mean, psychedelics is somewhat a pharmaceutical industry. Um, you know, already in its differentiation as a, a medical, as a medicine rather, um, you know, to those who are consuming it versus cannabis, you know, which we mentioned before is more recreational at heart. So when you think about other industries, you know, potentially latching on to a psychedelic, should it take off one day, the pharmaceutical industry obviously really is, is the one that, that comes to mind. Are there companies on you know, mainstream levels that are maybe toying around uh, with any of these compounds right now? I would say it's sort of in the same general classification there. There's a huge demand and, and, you know, culture for microdosing of psilocybin for performance enhancement and creativity and sort of spiritual heart opening. Um, so sort of non-traditional indications, mm -hmm. but there's, it's got the same barriers and hesitance of, investment in the sense that it's schedule one. And so there's a lot of risk with engaging in non DEA permitted activities relating to psychedelic compounds. So we're seeing a big um, increase in the international retreat centers and that kind of thing um, as, as a more accessible business opportunity. And then Colorado and Oregon will be the first sort of state level um, federally illegal business opportunities. But as much as I like to think the whole world could benefit and has had access to it. It's really still a very small subset of the population that has firsthand experience, um, both using and working with them. That, it was kind of an unfair question. So thank you for playing ball <laughs> with me on that one. It's just, uh, we, we look at cannabis as, you know, the potential of it, both as an opportunity, uh, for, for investors, uh, but also for business owners. Uh, and psychedelics, you know, I think it's interesting for us to explore the opportunity on both sides as well. Um, you know, maybe business owners or more clinic owners uh, or, clinic, you know, people who run clinics, people who run, the, you know, these clinical trials and companies you're doing R&D, which is obviously quite cost intensive. Uh, so, but for investors, you know, I guess, you know, we probably need to wrap up here shortly. But w when you look at this industry, and, you know, the companies that are public versus the companies that are private, does it matter to you right now? Is it something where, you know, we had a lot of investment in the mind meds and the field trips and the Cybins, the Atai's uh, of the world? Um, will those companies still be leaders in 10 years? Ooh, that's a golden question. Um, <laughs> Not, I think it really depends. For dump stocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think the beauty about psychedelics is that they do most of the work as far as the investment goes. So it's really about the team. Like there's no 
question that psilocybin doesn't have potential to treat all of these things and be effective. Same with Ibogaine, uh, MDMA, et cetera. But you're correct that the drug approval process in America is so onerous. It's so costly. It's so time intensive that it's, it's a really long-term play and you want to be very thoughtful about the leadership team, the experience, the scientific experience they have sort of their projection of the anticipated market and, and their sort of realistic both time and cost projections. Cause there's a lot of clients or potential clients that I speak with that, you know, everyone who's had like a really healing journey with psychedelics wants to share that and wants more people to have that. So there's a ton of interest in getting my, you know, mushroom product or whatever else it is out to people, but there's actually not a lot of understanding of what it really takes to get a compound, especially um, a compound that's naturally produced through the clinical trial process, through the FDA approval process. And, and, you know, MAPS has been at it for 25 plus years and, or way longer. (laughs) Um, And they're just now kind of getting close. So Mm -hmm. that's something to think about. Is it, are we sure that they work? I I think absolutely, but it's, it's really getting to know the company and and their long-term vision and being ready to like, you know, wait and, and be patient. You're such, you're so good at at this Courtney. (laughs) You're so, uh, no, but that was a really good answer. Um, Last question for me. Um, And this is, is more of a a fun question. Um, Are functional mushrooms to psychedelics, what CBAD and hemp are to marijuana? Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that it is a compound that's contained in your generic mushroom. So it is a component, not the full thing. So hemp and marijuana, CBD is, you know, a cannabinoid that is contained in it. Reishi and lion's mane are actually different species of fungi. So there's, um, they're actually like kind of more of like a strain, I guess would be more analogous. Hmm. Um, but the problem child is you could say THC is sort of analogous to psilocybin in the sense that that's the controlled compound, um, Mm -hmm. within the bigger mushroom within the hemp plant, but reishi and lion's mane and chaga, like lion's mane is its own sort of mushroom Mm-hmm. and full so that's i guess that's my that non, that's my lawyer non-scientific way <laughs> of explaining that it makes sense um well courtney anything else you think that that you know we should leave from this conversation like you know what uh just make sure you guys read up on this or you know you make sure you know about this or keep an eye on this you know just one thought you have i one thought i have oh if you talk about psychedelics with strangers or your friends. That's my call to action. If you've had a healing experience or you've had a fun experience or you know someone that has, this is what happened with CBD and cannabis. Like now everyone knows someone whose grandmother benefited. Veterans are really leading this charge right now um, in that sort of non-stereotypical user base that's that's had a lot of help. But the more we can destigmatize having conversations about these things, the more people can get access to these healing modalities so that would be my one request fantastic Um, and be very responsible these yes (laughs) yes yes do it like you're supposed to courtney barnes counsel of feldman legal advisors and just an all-around legal ba i don't know if i can say (laughs) but courtney you're awesome 
Really appreciate Thank you being you. here. It's my pleasure. Yeah. I'll see Thank you in you. Miami. Yes. Come see Courtney at the Psychedelics Capital Conference, April 13th. Get your tickets at bzpsychedelics.com. Courtney, thank you again. We'll see you soon. All right. Awesome, y'all. Thank you again for tuning in. It was a little bit of a a different uh, session today talking about a different industry than cannabis, but necessary, right? These are emerging markets. A, it's it's why you come to Benzinga for news. Uh, We love emerging markets. We love crypto. We love Web3. We love cannabis. We love psychedelics. We love fintech when it was still uh, considered emerging in that sense. You may still consider it emerging. I don't know. But that being said, this is important. These are really cool industries for you guys to jump in as an investor. However, do your research, do your due diligence, and make sure you understand where the company sits in the grand scheme of the industry. Because that's what happened to a lot of investors in cannabis, and a lot of people got hurt financially, but a lot of people have been rewarded too. So that being said, make sure you keep an eye on Benzinga.com slash cannabis. Join us for our events, bzcannabis.com and bzpsychedelics.com. We're at the Fountain Blue in Miami, April 11th through the 13th, covering both industries. It's going to be a fantastic time. See amazing leaders like Courtney, like Kevin Harrington, potentially like Jordan Belfort, uh, but you will see more federal politicians than any other stage in the cannabis space, the 11th and 12th. Hear from them. What are they going to do? this year uh, for cannabis. We're going to find out. With that being said, y'all, thank you again for tuning in. We will see you again next time. Peace.